Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, just a quick heads up, this episode contains explicit language. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. 2006 was a big year in the Bay Area. It was the year of white tees and stunner shades, when Too Short dropped Blow the Whistle and E-40 released My Ghetto Report Card with the hit Tell Me When It Go. It was the height of the hyphy movement. But there was so much more going on. Oakland was having a bad year with gun violence. Over-policing and the onset of gentrification loomed. And this is all where my colleague and Right Now-ish host, Pendarvis Harshaw, starts his newest series, Hyphy Kids Got Trauma. In 2006, I leave Oakland and go to Washington, D.C., and I start to see how people view the Bay Area from the outside. And I'm like, oh, y'all think it's all fun and games. Y'all think it's goofy. No, this hyperactive energy actually comes from really a void in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've never thought of the words hyphy and trauma in the same sentence, but Penn would know. He was a budding journalist with a front row seat to the movement in 2006. And today we talk with him about the sounds and scars of the time and explore the hyphy movement as you've never heard before. Stay with us. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. this series of yours, Hyphy Kids Got Trauma, takes place in 2006, 
the height of the hyphy movement. Can I tell you where I was in 2006 and during the hyphy movement? <laughs> Please bring me into your world. So I was, I'm gonna date myself, 11 years old, going to middle school in Sassoon City, California. I was on MySpace, even though my parents didn't want me to have a MySpace. Definitely had a pair of stunner shades. I would say I probably was experiencing the hyphy movement really on the radio and online, like on the drives that my family would take every week to Vallejo to go visit our family out there, be Wild 94.9, 106KML, listening to the hyphy music in that way, and then on people's MySpace pages. So that's where I was. This is made for you. This is made for the, the kid who, who was there, but wasn't fully there, but can reminisce. It's touch points. Well, I feel like I was experiencing the hyphy movement, I'd say, like, from the back seat. You had a front row seat to this time in Bay Area hip-hop history. Can you explain where you were in all of this? Yeah, talk about seats. I, I got my first car from an auction, like the Alameda County Police Auction in Livermore. This bucket <laughs> Chrysler that I got with my student aid check from Laney College. And that's how we got around. I was 18 going on 19, just had graduated high school. I had applied and had been accepted to Howard University in D.C. And I knew I wanted to do journalism, so I had this camera, and I went everywhere I went, I just filmed it. And we would hit everything from community events to parties to sideshows. And that living on the edge, I think, really is what kept us going. We knew it was dangerous, but it was enticingly dangerous. And that's what made it fun. And that's where we found freedom. And that's largely what this piece is about. Well, that's like amazing to think about. You were a baby journalist. You were a college student living in Oakland at the center of this, I think, very youth-driven movement. And you were a witness to this like very exuberant time. But this series alludes to something more that was happening there. This idea that Hyvie kids got trauma. What do you think people often misunderstand about the Hyphy movement? The term Hyphy itself comes from a hyperactive person. I often heard it like when somebody's describing a dog off the leash, like, oh, no, that's a Hyphy pit bull, man. Stay away from that. So the term, just starting there and how it's used and applied to folks, you know, it was already off a little bit. When people think of Hyphy, especially like in the national scene, so keep in mind, in 2006, I leave Oakland and go to Washington, D.C. for college. And I start to see how people view the Bay Area from the outside. Mm. And I'm like, oh, y'all think it's all fun and games. Y'all think it's goofy. Like, no, this hyperactive energy actually comes from really a void. A lot of us born with parents who were addicted to drugs and that that hyperactive energy often turned malicious. And I don't think it was depicted that way once it hit the national media. Um, Hyphy became a little little more friendly, a, a a lot goofier and easier to digest. You were just alluding to this, Penn, but what else was happening in Oakland in 2006? What is the context of the hyphy movement during this time? So as E-40's My Ghetto Report Card album, which features the song Tell Me When To Go, and Too Short's 
blow the whistle album and song start to blow up and people are dancing and partying at the same time oakland is witnessing an uptick in homicides where that year 2006 148 people were reportedly killed in the city of oakland in january of that year i lost a friend by the name of willie clay in november of that year i lost a friend by the name of marcel campbell and in between I just remember so many R.I.P. memorials and people with airbrushed t-shirts that say R.I.P. on them and uh, pamphlets from funerals and the dashboard of uh, Buick LeSabres at a sideshow. So people are partying while still mourning. Now that I have the language to express it, I'm like, oh, that's what we were going through. We were processing this trauma. And so as I start to kind of pull back the layers of what was happening, it's not just the 148 homicides, it's also the amount of unemployment it was the fact that you had predatory housing loans over policing. Oakland Police Department went into uh, federal receivership in 2003. And so this podcast, it starts off with, yeah, talking about going down and shaking your dreads. But yeah, slowly but surely, they start to keep pulling back these layers and see why these hyphy kids are so hyphy. Episode one starts with a very personal experience of yours, the moment that you found out that a friend of yours named Willie Clay, who was an old middle school classmate, used to play ball with, ride Razor scooters with, uh, was actually killed. Why did you start the series there, Penn? Willie Clay was one of the first close friends that I lost to gun violence. Over the past two decades, when I think about how many people I know who have been killed, I think back to Willie Clay's story. So I wanted to start there because it had that lasting impact on me as an 18-year-old, kind of stepping out into the world. It also happened in January of a very monumental year. So I, th I thought that was the best place to start, especially if I'm going to tell my story in the context of what was happening around me. Well, the series dives into the ways that that kind of violence that people were experiencing in Oakland directly led to this new wave of talent. Can you talk about how that happened? While I'm on one side of the neighborhood mourning from the loss of Willie Clay, um, on the other side of the community, there's a, a brother by the name of Bita Wita, who's an artist whose music is on the rise. After uh, a number of incidents in the community, Bita's management suggested that he record, instead of in the neighborhood known as the Dubs in East Oakland, he recorded the Hyro Building, which is a building owned by the legendary almighty hieroglyphics hip-hop crew. Bita started recording at the Hyro Building, and when he got in, he essentially kicked in the door for a whole bunch of new talent from the Bay Area, um, specifically from Oakland, and artists who still make music to this day. Everyone from your Jay Stylin. They keep hating, but let them cause I'm stand strapped. Nigga throw two at me, I'ma throw 30 back. Shady Nate. Hey, how was that go through the ghetto, ricochet through the halls? Get the clapping at you niggas like a round of applause. I don't, I'll bring it back. Filthy Rich from Seminary, who's doing magnificent things. Stand on business, front line when I'm in them streets. OGs from my hood, man, they can't extort me. Beyond just music, these are people who created businesses and sustain their families. And yeah, like music is one thing, but to create real generational change, that's what happened there. And I know one thing that pushed Bita Wita to the Hyro building was the gun violence in his community and gun violence that had hit him personally. 
And I know you talked with Tajay Massey of the Souls of Mischief, really about how that trauma is manifested in Bidawita's music itself, right? Can you talk about how Tajay described the sound of Bidawita's music when he first heard it? Bidawita's music, he has this one song called We Ain't Listening. Tajay talks about it, he talks about it like it's almost demonic. You know, the way that people describe hip-hop like in the negative way. Like, oh, what are these kids doing? That's devil music. That's really what hip-hop is in general, rapping. Like, we just rapping, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. to me, it exemplified the same feeling that maybe, you know, uh, Raising Hell or uh, Rock Box or something. That, dun, 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 you know, or, or uh, it's like a jungle sometimes. Like, it exemplified that spirit of there is a whole other world out here that you are not being exposed to, and we're going to make it sound beautiful over music. And when I heard that at 18, it spoke to me. It wasn't like a, I'm going to miss you. It's like, oh, I miss my friends. Oh, what's happening with society? What's going on? It wasn't Marvin Gaye or anything like that. It was, like, aggressive. It was something to roll my windows down to, like, smoke and drive, and, like, really provided a vent for me, my friends, and my community. I was nervous to ask people about trauma and how they express it. And a lot of folks were like, yeah, man, we, we express it by like smiles and like laughter and like partying aggressively. And that idea is also represented in this viral video that you shot of Stomper, the Oakland A's mascot, in the early days of YouTube, which by the way, I literally saw someone the other day post that video on Instagram, and I just wanted to be like, do you know who took that video? I know the person who took that video. Uh, what's happening? What's happening with it, Kyle? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sammy. Town business, right? Can you tell me about that video that you shot and and the, the role that it played in, in this episode for you and in, in sort of being a real, I think, visual representation as well of this idea that trauma is very much represented and can be seen in the culture of the hyphy movement. Episode two starts with me sharing a video of Stomper the Oakland A's mascot dancing at an E-40 record release party in Emeryville in 2006. Stompers being goofy, gigging, having fun. Uh, the people around them are having fun, hugs and smiles. And then I watched it again. I was like, wait, what song is playing in the background? It's E-40's Happy to Be Here, in which he's talking essentially about surviving hard times and losing loved ones along the way. And then I'm watching the video even closely. And I mean, it's you know, it's pixelated. It's 2006, right? <laughs> um, but I can see that one of the people has an airbrushed T-shirt on and it says RIP across his chest as he's dancing and gigging and having fun. And I'm like, look, those are signs of what we were experiencing at that time. I don't think we knew at the time that we were like expressing pain by turf dancing or being just doing hip hop. Um, I felt like that was just something we did. And again, in retrospective, looking at it like, oh, the biggest turf dance video that is on the Internet right now is turfing in the rain where a group of young men are on a corner in East Oakland honoring their deceased loved one like that speaks volumes of the culture of turf dancing. Well, speaking of 
YouTube, as we were just talking about, there are four total episodes of Hyphy Kids Got Trauma. And I know the third focuses on kind of like the concurrent rise of social media during that time. You know, I think back on my experience. MySpace and YouTube really allowed, I think, people like me from the suburbs to hear and see the music and the culture without being in the thick of it, right? Like sort of experiencing it, but seeing it removed from the context to become this thing that really you just experience online. Once social media kind of did start to influence uh, the movement, Pen, what effect did you see it having on the sort of story that we know about the hyphy movement or that we think we know about the hyphy movement? It was a combination of both social media and also um, major media outlets. Shifting the narrative, taking the story and packaging it and selling it as they want to. Social media brought about a lot of copycat stuff. So I think I've talked to people about (laughs) seeing Ghost Riding the Whip on video and then how they tried to reenact it wherever they were and how, how many times there were videos posted of people ghost riding the whip going wrong. Um, <laughs> culture, it spreads. Um, and when it spreads, people are going to take aspects of it and, and incorporate it into their lives and things are going to change. And that that is just natural. And then the unnatural side of things is when companies, big publications, record labels, they try to take something that's a phenomenon, a youth phenomenon, and package it and sell it back to the youth. And that's one of the things that I saw, we saw it happen in hip hop in general, and then specifically in the hyphy movement. I have to imagine that it was difficult and probably painful to revisit some of this time in this particular way. But why was it important for you to look back at this time through this lens? Like, what do you hope, I guess, to remember by doing this? Before the podcast came out, I had the opportunity to share some of the things that I was working on with a group of people at the Cal Academy of Sciences, and we talked about this era. That open discussion allowed me to see that the benefit of telling this story is that people see that they're not alone. A lot of folks shared with me personal trauma that they really hadn't thought about from 2006 or even prior, and so, This podcast project is an opportunity for the community to come together and say, you know what? Collectively, we did go through something at the the start of the millennium. And what can we learn now so that we don't pass that trauma down to the next generation? At the end of this project, just last week, I saw a kid I look at as a nephew speaking to Boots Riley at Fremont High School. And he was talking about the beauty of the hyphy movement and how it brought people together. I'm like, kid, you were born in 2006. (laughs) Um, And so he looks at it, you know, kind of like fondly. And also, it's awesome that he has that perspective on the hyphy movement, because obviously his dad did something right to ensure that it didn't get passed down to him. Whatever traumas his father experienced then didn't get passed down to him. So that's what I really wanted to do, is acknowledge what we went through, um, be clear about the causes of them, and and see, see it so that we don't pass them down to the next generation. What do you tell your daughter now about the hyphy movement? And how do you think about this idea of like not passing your that trauma down to her? Getting a little ahead of myself, but my next project or next piece, the next podcast that I'm working on is about parenthood and music and how music is a teaching mm-hmm. tool. And I realized 
I don't talk much about the hyphy movement with her. I mean, she's seven, and <laughs> there's a lot of vulgarity sure. in the hyphy music. And so, like, maybe maybe that's a reason. Like, we've we've listened to Guapale. <laughs> um, and so, we listen to Too Short, like, old Too Short, like, you know, getting it or, uh, you know, like, kind of uplifting Too Short. Yeah, no blow the whistle for her. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. You know, I, I, wait, I wait till she comes home from school and she's talking about it. I'm like, girl, what you know about it? It's time to teach it. Uh, we haven't gotten to that point, but when we, when we do, I definitely want to be able to provide context, um, full context, and say it's not just about going dumb. It's, it's deeper than just shaking your dreads. Well, Penn, thank you so much for this series, uh, and thank you for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was Pendarvis Harshaw, host of Right Nowish, a podcast from KQED that explores art and culture in the Bay Area. Episode three of this four-part series, Hyphy Kids Got Trauma, drops tomorrow. Make sure to subscribe to Right Nowish so you don't miss the next episodes. This conversation with Penn was cut down and edited by senior editor Alan Montecilio. Maria Esquinka scored this episode and added all the tape. The Bay is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Peace. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.